restricted, confidential, secret, top secret, SCI, USAP. From there, you have 24, sorry, 28, rather, my, my apologies, levels of top security clearance. After the 28th level, you then have 10 more levels above that. ZD27, Orbit, Triad, Cosmos, Astral, Stellar, Ultra, Luna, Cosmic, and then Majestic. Why am I saying these things? What does this have to do with this episode? Well, first, what we have to do is we have to understand the different levels of top secret security clearances and classifications before I go into the secret space program and the things that are being said by multiple whistleblowers as of recently. So what I'm going to do is, if you haven't watched a couple previous episodes, you may have already noticed that I started putting up some pictures in the, uh, the, the bottom corner of the, of the screen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put that picture up of the different levels of security clearance that I just mentioned for you to sort of get an understanding of what's really going on within the government and the different types of security clearances. Now, keep in mind, forget the very top 10 that I just named. When you look at the 28 levels of classification below that, the President of the United States, POTUS, as it stands for, is only allowed up to level 17. Level 17 is the absolute most that a president can get to. If a president starts searching beyond that, it gets to the point where their own security can't even protect them, as was the case with Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was seen, or sorry, rather heard on many occasions saying a couple different things. First off, he said to one of his aides, and I quote, Sarah, there's a government within the government, and I can't control it. And if you were around in the 90s, you would remember that President Bill Clinton said he would look into UFOs and extraterrestrial classified information and reveal to the public anything that he found. He said he didn't find anything. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a boatload of crap. He found lots. And there were lots of things he couldn't dig himself into. Because the reason he couldn't, he really could have if he wanted to, and he could have called for congressional hearings and, and Senate hearings and, and things like, and House hearings and, and all these different committees and investigations. But the people within the intelligence community are not loyal to the United States Constitution. They're loyal to one another. He was afraid, Bill Clinton was afraid, he would not be able to protect himself if he came forward and came public, and went public, rather, with the information that he just barely even touched upon. The presidency is a placeholder seat. They have lots of power. But there's a difference between the front end of the government and the back end of the government. And I'm not trying to fear-monger or make this sound like there's some top-secret government working in the shadows. But you know what? You have to define the terms as you use them. And I would dare to say that the term shadow government is probably the best analogy or metaphor that could be given. 
for what's going on right now and for what's been going on for the last 70, 80 years. A lot of people were using the term shadow government before it was even a thing. Now, yes, the, the, the term shadow government has gone on to, to branch off into different proposals and theories such as QAnon and what have you, but I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about those within the intelligence community that have no loyalty to the American people and have little to no loyalty to the President of the United States. They have loyalty to one another and pushing the agenda of the intelligence faction in which they belong to. It's very simple, and I'm not trying to make this sound like it's evil, because in a lot of cases, I don't think it is. But let me give you one other example. When George H.W. Bush, so George Bush Sr., when he was the director of the CIA, he received lots of information regarding UFOs. And at the time, I can't recall off the top of my head who the president was, but at the time, he was asked by the people under him that report to him if they should go and report this information to the president. And George H.W. Bush said, no, it's need to know the president does not need to know. And this just goes to show you, yes, in government there are checks and balances. But what happens when the people responsible for maintaining those checks and balances are not maintaining them appropriately or as they're technically supposed to be, as they are written in the Constitution? Now, I want to explain one more thing before I go on to the real good stuff, and that is that I do really believe there was a sort of transition in a, probably about the 80s and 90s, give or take, certainly in the mid to late 80s, where any president, incoming president, or currently seated president, whether they, they were there for four years, whether they were there for eight years, was not allowed to know certain things. I think that presidents such as President Eisenhower, President Roosevelt, and a little bit of JFK, a little bit, meaning that he knew not as much as Eisenhower, but he knew something, were given access to more, to more classified information than George Bush Jr. or Obama or Bill Clinton or even Trump for that matter. And I think the reason is, is because the people within the intelligence communities that are part of this, I guess you can call loosely organized shadow government, they're in positions of power for 20, 30, 40, in some cases 50 years, they're not elected into these positions. Therefore, they can keep secrets much more closely held and they don't need to report to the public and they don't need to even bother lying to the public. Whereas congressmen, congresswomen, presidents, secretary of states, joint chiefs of staff, all of these people, judges, the, the, they're all in one way or another elected in and brought in through the democratic process, which is fine. But what happens when things are, so, are deemed to be so freaking classified that even telling some of these placeholder congressmen or pre even presidents for that matter would be a risk to national security because who knows if the president's going to use it for his own political agenda. Who knows? So it's whether it's for good or bad, and I'm not saying either or, it's better off left alone to the people that need to know, and that's it. You know there's a shadow government when the Joint Chiefs of Staff in recent years keep asking for declassification of certain UFO files and documents from the CIA, from the Pentagon, 
from Los Alamos, Area 51, and guess what? They are then visited by one or two men in, in black suits. I know that sounds like a movie, but it's true. And they are then told, sir, and these are to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This has happened. You can look this up. Sir, we cannot provide you any information regarding this because you are not part of the need-to-know clearance. Very simple. Again, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying this is bad. Actually, this is, one, this is one thing where I can't really give much of a personal opinion because I myself still don't know where I stand on it. But anyways, let's dive right into it now that I've provided you with the, uh, the basics, if you will, and the, uh, the general understanding. So there's whistleblowers that are coming out all the time, right? The question is which ones are valid and which ones seem to be total BS. Now, we can never fully validate that of anonymous whistleblowers, but we can understand what seems more plausible and what seems a little more iffy. So, according to a new whistleblower claiming to have worked with multiple secret space programs, or SSPs as they call them, the technologies and their dynamic interrelations is far greater than anything previously revealed. The overall scope of information that this whistleblower, who prefers to go by the name of Corey, is revealing on these SSPs appears to dwarf anything released by prior whistleblowers. So, according to David Wilcock, who spent 22 years researching whistleblower testimony and accounts on extraterrestrial life and the secret space programs, Corey and I quote, knew almost as much as all the others had told David Wilcock combined, end quote. So among this whistleblower Corey's core claims is that the oldest of up to five rival secret space programs to emerge in the modern era, which is called Solar Warden, kind of summed up into one, con contains more dated technologies but has a greater dedication to humanity's long-term interests. Those in charge of Solar Warden secret space program, have decided to leak information about the existence of secret space programs by, for example, allowing their spacecraft to be photographed by the ISS, International Space Station. This is something that I was going to talk about as well, too, but now that it's been brought up in, this, uh, in, these, in my notes here, I figured I might as well say it in this episode. I think ultimately things eventually are bound to be leaked. The question is then what do people do about it? Is it used as a psyop when real images are leaked of UFOs or ETs? Is it used as a psyop to be ridiculed in the tabloids? So yeah, you have a real picture, but it's sort of being ridiculed by the press and the media. So they fill it with so much crap that once you get to the truth and you peel back all the layers of, of BS, once you get to the truth, the truth in, in and of itself sounds like crap because you've been hearing so much garbage leading up to it? Or is it done on purpose to prepare us for something bigger, a, 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 re a reveal of sorts, right? Now, there is something called the Sphere Alliance. Now, what is the Sphere Alliance? So according to this whistleblower, Corey, Sphere Alliance directly deals only with the Solar Warden program among the five modern space programs and is seeking to assist humanity in a series of conferences where pri private citizens meet secret space program representatives in a secure environment. The second of these exo-diplomacy conferences occurred on April 5th of 2019, according to Corey, the, de the details of which he says he will slowly uh, reveal. Now, 
given Corey's claim that he was age and time regressed, and again, this is, has to do with time regression and, and previous sp interplanetary space travel, as I have uh, mentioned in episodes prior. In his earlier service with the secret space program, it's unlikely that any hard evidence or documentation will be found to corroborate his prior covert space service. However, his more recent claims of being physically taken to conferences organized by the Sphere Alliance can be verified if other attendees wanted to step forward. So far, none of the alleged 70 other private individuals attending the first conference have decided to come forward. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's hard to tell if this Corey person is leaking things purposely, if this is literally an, a government agency leaking things on purpose, or if this is an actual person that participated in these age regression and time regression exercises, if you will. So it's very hard to say. Now, the complexity of the narrative Corey has developed about Earth's secret space program and breakaway civilizations appeals to some, but it raises red flags for others. So a common psychological warfare tool is to mix a bunch of false information with real information to hide the truth in plain sight. Just what I spoke about and what I've spoken about in many other episodes previously. Now, Gordon Duff who is the founder of the very popular website Veterans Today, claims that as much as 40% of the information released about the secret space program is disinformation designed to protect sources and methods. Now, let me mention something as well too, folks. What I want to say here is that when we look at organizations that are leaking out disinformation on purpose to deceive people, we have to keep in mind the government is not always, in a lot of aspects, our direct enemy. In a lot of cases, they're doing so to combat other governments. Because you have to understand, the concept of leaking false information is not a new one. This has been going on since man was able to, to strategize, really. And so, when they're leaking things, they're leaking things because they know that Russia's got, probably got a secret space program and they purposely want Russia to find out something that will be misinformation, but maybe they might find a way to corroborate it. So it sounds like, you know, Russia is, is um, I guess, for lack of a better word, is all happy and jolly. They think they got something on the U.S. And, and vice versa. This happens all the time. Misinformation leaks happen all the time. It also occurs when people are working on top-secret classified projects, particularly in the space programs, where things are so compartmentalized because the, everyone's working on the same thing but a different part of that same thing, or that same project. And so they purposely, within the files given to each individual working on a different compartment of the project, disinformation is purposely put within these files that these people read so that if something does leak, down the road, they're able to figure out exactly who leaked it. So, the question has become, is this person Corey's testimony, this whistleblower's testimony, is it part of a psychological warfare operation? Or is he revealing the truth about genuine unfolding events involving multiple secret space programs and extraterrestrial visitors? Now, those that have met and communicated with Corey are impressed by his sincerity and willingness to expose himself to criticism by stepping forward. The information that he's released so far is consistent, precisely consistent, 
with that of what other whistleblowers have revealed, as Wilcock has concluded. Now, the level of information that Corey has released certainly has the potential of transforming life as we know it on this planet. Again, if a lot of things that these secret space programs have became public or became even partially available to the private sector or to people in the public, industries would be devalued overnight. Currency would mean little to nothing, right? Oil would mean nothing. I mean, for Christ's sake, we've, we've been able to run cars off of water since the 70s, I think. And so ultimately, it, it comes down to, to money and power, and I think more so than those two, it comes down to the destabilization of this sort of intricate balance of life, the intricate balance of global economies, which are very delicate to begin with, right? And so forget public outcry. It seems as though that the public is kind of pushed past that in a lot of regards. It comes down to the destabilization of economics and, and things all across that sort of general, general uh, line there. Now, Will his information stand the test of public scrutiny as his identity will slowly be revealed and due diligence may be conducted on his claims, right? So we, we don't know at this point. So let me just tell you what Corey has said. A majority of the solar warden factions have already been involved in a sort of shadow civil war, if you want to call it, or a shadow cold war, with the other secret space, uh, secret space program groups for some time. They had been accidentally, and I say that carefully, accidentally appearing in front of NASA live feeds as well as causing other incidents to allow people to see their technologies. There is a strict schedule of when and where to be in various parts of our solar system to prevent the satellites of various nations and corporations from accidentally capturing telemetry of classified technology. So the Solar Warden Group was more aging of the SSP groups with much of their fleet being produced in the 80s and 90s with continuous upgrades. They had shown a willingness to take a stand in a sort of David versus Goliath type battle that was selfless and one that showed the cloth they were the cloth they were cut from they also had broken off alliances with more negative oriented off-world beings they had allied themselves with with some more positive off-world beings and a group that was an ancient earth breakaway that had made some changes in a positive direction even though these non-solar warden allies were considered good guys the sphere alliance stated that they had their own agendas and as much as they wanted to help humanity they were still considered to be servicing themselves. So there was a lot of frustration prior to the Sphere Alliance making contact with Solar Warden. The Sphere Alliance had begun to arrive, or at least their spheres had begun to arrive, in the late 1990s and cloaking, meaning turning invisible. So no matter who tried to communicate or hail them, there was absolutely no response. So they, to this day, refuse to interact with any of the beings or human groups that are service to self directly and use an intermediary to communicate between these two groups. Now, you might think, after I just read that from my notes, you might think, what the hell is he talking about? Let me break this down very quickly for you. First off, we got the NASA live feeds, ISS live feeds, right? Very simple. 
People say all the time, if there were UFOs and things, why don't we see them on the live feeds? Guess what? We do. Why do the live feeds cut out essentially every single day? Because there are craft, spacecraft, that are either from one of two things. Our government or other human governments or that of extraterrestrials. And there is a cooperation between these class, these top 10 classified groups and extraterrestrials of different species, by the way, in which different nations have arrangements with different species, not always bad, not always good, to watch and take certain routes when coming to Earth or heading to the moon, because there's a base there, so that they will not be in, they will not be detected by the satellites or the other private sector technologies and drones that are just above the just in uh, just above the earth's orbit so to speak so that they cannot be tracked so the next thing you might ask in is in what way is the solar warden more capable of representing humanity's interests in negotiations with the sphere alliance right because Again, we have the Solar Warden and then the Sphere Alliance, right? And there's a few other ones, but the SSP Alliance, Secret Space Program Alliance, already formed an infrastructure, and they were already engaged in a sort of stealth cold war or stealth civil war with the, the controlled groups that vastly outnumbered and outgunned them, sort of this, this kind of cabal, if you will. And this was an incredible show of valor and service to others, even though their agenda or operational plans to achieve that agenda was more of a warlike or violent type nature. And there's something else to note as well regarding the cabal groups. The cabal groups who look for certain children to bring into Milab or M-I-L-A-B, Milab, Milab programs are looking for star seeds who have gifts that can be corrupted and used for, I guess you can call it the dark side. Many of these star seeds on Earth and in the secret space programs are beginning to realize that they are alive here now during this time for a reason, for a designated mission, if you will. And this has something to do with it. So Corey says that when he was contacted by the Blue Avians, he was told that the Cabal groups were incredibly worried about what the star seeds may contribute in a movement against them. And so they have put people in programs out there to locate and try to target star seeds to traumatize them and cause entity attachments to derail them from any missions that they may have on this planet and in this timeline. So let me, let me break this down very simply for you. Think of politics on Earth, diplomatic relations, foreign policy. Think about that on a much larger scale with different galaxies, solar systems, different alien species and what have you it's a constant mental strategy it's a mental war more than a physical one particularly when you're dealing with the species that are far more advanced than us you are looking at a a mental cold war if you will and this by the way also has to do with the fact that a lot of planes cannot fly over Antarctica because there's been a lot of speculation regarding that. It's got nothing to do with flat earth theory. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the fact that, excuse me, it has to do with the fact that there is, there are secret bases there. There are UFOs that, there's a magnetic force there that's very important to different extraterrestrial species that we are working with here in the West. 
and other nations around the world. It's very simple. So not only can you argue that the cold weather is not good for people flying commercial, but for many other reasons, there's no point in flying over the Antarctica. It's not needed. That's why everyone commercially and privately is forbidden from flying there, whether it's in a private jet or whether it's on, a, you know, you're on Delta Airlines or whatever airline you're on, doesn't matter. Anywhere in the world, can't go to Antarctica, too bad. Fuck off. That's how it is. Simple. So, the next question then becomes, does the U.S. Navy play a major role in the Solar Warden's operations in the worldview? Okay? Now, it's been claimed that the Navy is more aligned with constitutional values than the other military services, especially the U.S. Air Force. Right? This is what Corey had to say about that, and I, I took a pause because it's interesting. He says, most of how the Navy, Air Force, and militaries of other nations play into the secret space programs are from an earthly-based support role. An example would be the Air Force Space Command's old, soon-to-be-replaced, Space Fence Program. So, those there were briefed, those that were briefed and told they were at the top of the intel totem pole, if you want to call it, and that, yes, there were a certain amount of aliens, but what they were tracking were all advanced U.S. aircraft. So if you were to meet one, they would argue until they were red in the face that all that is flying in space is secret government projects. Many that aren't read in to there being any aliens at all are told, you're at the top of the intelligence totem pole, and there are no aliens. They believe it because they're soldiers. They follow orders as they rightfully should and will argue with you until you know, they're ready to come to blows that there are no such things as aliens. This is one of the most compartmentalized and complicated subjects, as you will see below, than most researchers ever dreamed. Those who are asking, did Roswell really happen or are there four or 58 or you know, 100 alien groups visiting us are barely on a kindergarten level of what is really going on. This is far more pervasive and wove, uh, woven, woven sorry, into the fabric of our daily lives than we realize as well. There is a constant ridicule and denial of any and all material related to ETs as a secret U.S. policy that has been in place since the early 1950s. Intel groups have mastered infiltration of disclosure groups, causing infighting or leading people into situations where they can become blackmailed or compromised. Usually they just have to plant a seed or two and let human nature take its course. And it's been a very effective program to prevent researchers and disclosure groups from making any real progress. And Corey goes on to say he'll explain about how more and more of the secret space program personnel are people who are brought up inside secret space program since they were children. And then, which again brings back to what I mentioned before, my labs or MILABs, M-I-L-A-Bs, and then later drafted into the secret space program and secret earth government syndicates and sub-programs. Again, this makes perfect sense. Whether or not it's accurate, it's very plausible when you think about it. Think about it, it, how things are compartmentalized in, not just in, with top secret things, just it, it, when you have a company, for example, right? Let's say Apple or Google they're working, or Samsung, they're working on a top secret product for a cell phone. What do they do? They've been known to compartmentalize and tell and have certain people say, you're working on this. You have, you have a, a team of people working on the screen for the phone. And they think they know what they're putting together, but they don't know fully because they've been fed some disinformation in case things get leaked then the people at the top, the CEOs of the company, of Apple, let's say, will know 
who's leaking. And the people responsible for, it, for creating the screen of this new phone, let's say, it, make the screen and then their job is done. Okay, you can go home or we're going to designate you to another project. Thank you. Think about that on a much, much more complex level. The question then becomes subsequently, what does MILAB or MYLAB uh, stand for? Stands for military abduction, right? And so it's been said that most people are taken into these programs around the age of six years old in a lot of cases. You don't start off as a, a soldier in the army, you work your way up, and then you have sort of, you're trusted more and more. Not always, not all the time, right? So people are then trained and, and you know, they believe their lives are dedicated to this and this is going on all around the world, the US, the UK, uh, Canada for that matter, Switzerland, Europe, Germany. I mean, it's, it, it's insane. I mean, there's been speculation that the Nazis were the first to sort of kind of loosely organize this the same way that the US has it organized now. Very possible, right? The question then becomes after that is, How ingrained are diplomatic relations out in space affecting us without even knowing, subconsciously, so to speak? I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you can come to your own conclusions however you please, right? But ultimately, we have to we have to accept the fact that what's being spoken of here may not seem as unrealistic as a lot of people deem it to be, right? It may very well be the most classified secret uh, in modern human history or one of the most closely held secrets ever. So... There's so many other things that I can, I can break down here. So I'm just going to go over a couple different notes that I have because I don't want to make this episode too long. So I'm going to kind of do it in a, a question and answer sort of format based off of Corey, this whistleblower's account. So someone asked, he did a, a sort of Q&A at one point in time. Someone asked, what national personnel manned the cigar-shaped crafts? Because if you're not familiar with it, there's many different types of UFO crafts. So Corey said, most of them are American. There's some UK, Canadian, and Australian personnel, but most of them are American, and you also have Chinese and German ones as well, which are extremely smart. But the security personnel were present, but were under the authority of the more civilian and scientific-minded personnel. Um, while he was off the vessel, the security personnel were in charge and made sure to take advantage of the opportunities that could be presented to themselves in a diplomatic sense, speaking with other alien species. Now, someone then asked, did you ever come across the USS Nautilus, the Earth Defense Force, Mars Colony Corporation, or things like that? He said he only saw USS used in documentation that had to do with personnel assignments and personnel transfers. Otherwise, he didn't see any secret space program groups refer to their vessels with a USS de designation. And so he said there's more than eight of the cigar-shaped carrier classes and other class of vessels of various sizes and classifications. 
They were designed to carry various types of craft that many think of as the TR-3B. And it's sort of like these cigar-shaped carriers were designed to carry a large compartment of crew for extended periods of time and travel to other solar systems. So this sort of flying triangle, if you will, is called the TR-3B, and it's been said that this is what is the main model of spacecraft that is used, at least by the U.S. government, to travel far distances in space. Now, the question then becomes, who manufactures these crafts? Are companies like Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, are they heavily involved in the corporate space program or more the traditional military-run sort of solar warden program? And Corey, at least, had said that they are what are called super boards or super committees. Usually what happens is that all of these very well-known government contracting corporations that we know of, and some that we're not aware of, have a standing board member that will retire and roll off their corporate board and then join one of the ICC, SSP, corporate boards or super committees. They're then out of the limelight and still have their corporate pull and connections. So Solar Warden was a heavily was a heavy Navy program in the beginning with Air Force involvement later on. And so even most of the rank and file come from within the, the MILABs, recruiting systems. The, the core of, of this committee has been connected to the military and um, some very much constitutional supporters and believers in their oaths, if you want to call it. And again, it makes perfect sense. You need two kinds of people, people that are willing to present the current leader of that committee with a sort of off-the-books view and a leader that also presents the views of those that abide by the Constitution and, and what have you. So he also said, unfortunately, in the case of the ICC-SS secret space program, the Dark Fleet SSP have become more and more negative because of their off-world alliances with particular extraterrestrial species, right? So... Again, the questions can go on and on, right? So, the last thing that I want to touch on, which I think is very important, is how much of this is secretly involved with the current deep state cabal, if you want to call it. So, it's been said that there are elements of secret Earth governments and their syndicates, as well as ancient breakaway secret space programs that are aligned with not only several different groups of off-world groups or beings, but have also become what's been termed as AI prophets and are working on a somewhat integrated but independent agenda of bringing the extraterrestrial AI into control of the technologically dependent world that they've helped create. So they consider this to be far more capable of ruling humanity and sort of present themselves as being a scourge across multiple galaxies and destroying hundreds of advanced civilizations far more advanced and wiser than our own. And this is considered by the other secret space programs and even other Federation ETs as an imminent threat. And the security protocols in place to guard against the AI threat are quite intrusive at times and are taken extremely seriously. And there are some of the more negative-oriented ET groups that not only have entity attachments themselves, but also use these ethereal, negative spiritual entities as tools to attach to humans to manipulate their behavior. Now, I'm going to be doing a different episode on this, but it has to do with the fact that ETs and spirits if you want to call them, 
are intertwined. A lot of ET species understand the importance of spirituality and different planes and realms to help, I guess, use as a tool, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, to impact that of certain people's behaviors and mannerisms. So, at the end of the day, the various SSPs or secret space programs of our current era and breakaway civilizations are all aligned with different and multiple groups of off-world beings. And it's completely independent of the problem on Earth of the secret Earth governments and their syndicates and all that that have done so well in being, you know, very combative over a protracted amount of time. So, at the end of the day, Secret Earth government elites are very different than that of the SSPs, and people tend to think that it's all combined into one. I get it. You can sort of connect things where things have not been connected. I can understand that. But at the end of the day, what we have to realize is that there, just like with many other things in life, are very similar goals, but different factions competing to attain such goals. Right? We need to understand that everything may in fact not be entirely connected and so that's it for this episode let me know what you guys think and if you think this is all bs or if you think there's some truth to it if you think that this report from this whistleblower Corey is a uh, is a legitimate psyop or if some of it may be true or if he's trying to really just legitimately send a message through anonymity so let me know what you guys think and we'll catch you next time peace